This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, questions about life, questions about the Bible, questions about what we believe, why we believe it, anything and everything that's on your heart. Nothing is off limits. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Before we get started, Tuesday we don't have a bunch, I'll get right to the questions, but um, just a, a quick prayer request, as I'm sure most of you have heard by now. Uh, Israel has stopped allowing flights incoming from other countries. Um, We actually had two of our churches in the Houston airport with a bunch of people getting ready to leave today to go to Israel, and all of those were canceled. It's going to be uh, uh, postponed till 2021. Uh, but uh, there's, uh, we've still got some churches uh, who are in Israel coming back today and tomorrow, but nobody's going in, and I think that's a tough thing. We would also appreciate prayer, uh, as uh, we've made it known on this program. We have a mission trip to um, the Philippines coming up in August, and um, it's getting a little bit dicier by the day, whether or not uh, we'll actually be able to get a flight to go in. So uh, we're hopeful that things will go well. We're in prayer, but uh, we would appreciate you praying as well. Well, let me get right to questions today because uh, that's all the business we have while we wait your phone calls. This is from our mobile app. It's anonymous. Can you comment about the teachings of Francis Chan? Um, I can. Um, anonymous. I'm not, a, I'm not a Francis Chan fan. He's reformed in his theology, um, but um, um, there, there's just some problems uh, that I think, obviously, he's passionate for the Lord. Um, he's, he seems bent on trying to 
uh, figure out a new way, an improved way of doing church, which is always a little bit dicey. The book of Acts gives us the model. Uh, he's certainly not a heretic. Um, I think there is a lot from Francis Chan that we can benefit from. Um, again, the passion that he has uh, for what he's teaching about. Uh, but I don't think his teaching is um, really deep. And I, I think it comes from a little bit of a different perspective. So that's really all I have on Francis Chan. Not a big fan, but certainly he loves Jesus and, and uh, we can pray for him. Here is another anonymous question. If you dedicate your baby instead of baptizing, will they still be able to receive the Holy Spirit when they're older? Anonymous, of course. Dedication is what the Bible declares for, for children. Uh, I know we live in a culture, Catholic in San Antonio, but also there's a lot of Church of Christs that, that claim that you've got to be baptized in order to be saved and you have to baptize your children. But you see, baptism, Peter says in First Peter chapter 3, symbolizes the washing of the body. It symbolizes, that's all it is, it's a symbol, it's a ritual that we go through. And a baby cannot consent, cannot make a rational decision. Yes, I need to repent. I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. So um, uh, we have a, an example of dedicating a child uh, to the Lord in, in uh, Hannah, dedicating Samuel in First Samuel. Uh, and other than that, there's never any instruction for infant baptism. Um, and as a result, uh, I think a lot of people are fooling themselves. Well, I had my baby baptized so he or she is saved. They're going to be in heaven. has nothing to do with that. So, of course, if you dedicate your baby, when your child receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is the gift given from heaven. And so this isn't an issue that you have to worry about at all. Um, remember, baptizing an infant has no value whatsoever. None at all. So you dedicate him to the Lord, you raise him, you raise her to know Jesus, you rightly represent Jesus, and a day will come when they will want your Jesus. And that's what it's really all about. So Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. Uh, William is asking, if I will provide a brief view of the rapture, please. Uh, William, I can do that. Um, uh, the rapture is going to happen. It could happen at any moment. There's nothing um, prophetically that needs to be fulfilled or completed before uh, the next event, the rapture of the church. First Corinthians 15, uh, 51 talks about a time when um, in, a, in an instant, in a twinkling of an eye, we will be caught up together with the air, in the air with the Lord. Um, and that's a, the, the a rapture of the church. So I guess by providing a brief view, talking about timing. And here's what we know is going to happen. Uh, we are in the last days, William, that's for sure. But uh, a day is coming when the final uh, Gentile, non-Jew, will be saved. Paul talks about the, the, the until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled or the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. There's a day coming when that last Gentile is going to get saved, and then we're going to be out of here. And we're going to be caught up in the air. Jesus isn't coming to earth for us. He's going to catch us up, 
and we'll be with him. And he's going to take us into the wedding banquet of the Lamb. We will be there for what is on earth a time period of seven years. To us, it will seem like an instant. And then we're going to come back with him. So William, the rapture of the church could happen at any moment. Once we're out of here, then the the man that we call the Antichrist is going to introduce himself to the world. He's not going to call himself the Antichrist, but he's going to introduce himself to the world. And when he introduces himself to the world, he will be hailed as a man of peace. No doubt he will get Time Magazine's Man of the Year every year. Um, of course, we know what his real heart is. Uh, the Great Tribulation will begin. And for seven years, the world will be tossed into the darkest time. By far the darkest time in the history of the world. Sometimes we look around and see how bad things can get now. It'll be infinitely worse when we're taken out of here. And the world is given over to darkness. When Jesus takes away, he calls him the restrainer, Paul writing to the churches in Thessalonica. When he takes us out of the way, doesn't mean the Holy Spirit stops working. It just means that the church, we who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we will be gone And it'll be like turning off the lights. And the world will get darker and darker and darker as we're plunged into this great tribulation. So, William, I hope that's what you mean. That's as brief a view of the rapture as I can. I can, William, um, refer you to uh, our website, calvarysa.com, and uh, go to our teachings. And uh, in Revelation chapter 4, the first teaching that I do uh, every time uh, on, on uh, uh, chapter 4 is on the rapture. It's a complete picture. Old Testament and New Testament it is a complete picture of the rapture, when it comes, why it has to come uh, before the Great Tribulation, and uh, sort of what's going to happen. So um, there's your answer. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We'd love your live calls and questions. Nancy says, Pastor Ron, when I fail God, I feel like God has left me. What can I do to stop feeling like this? Well, Nancy, obviously, I don't know what you mean by when you fail God. I assume you mean when you sin or you're disobedient. So the one thing you can do for sure to stop feeling like God has left you is to stop being disobedient. Stop making excuses. Stop rationalizing your sin. Uh, God has promised never to leave you or forsake you. Now, the problem is that we force God away from us when we live in sin. It's that simple. And as long as we are living in unrepentant sin, then we're going to feel that distance. And that's by design. God doesn't want any of us, Nancy, feeling secure while we are living in willful sin. So uh, when you fail God, the answer is simply don't. Now, if you, if you mess up and it's just something that you, you, you fell into, you couldn't stop, you gave in to temptation, well, recognize it right away and tell the Lord you're sorry. And then say, Lord, I don't want to fail again. Paul talks about it. He says, what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. But he hated it. And Nancy, too often, when we 
are rebelling against God, when we're disobedient, we make excuses for it like, well, God understands. But you've got to understand, God has promised never leave you or forsake you. And so when you failed, turn around. That's what repentance is. Tell Jesus how sorry you are. And I don't mean just, I regret what I did. I'm sorry. I don't, I blew it, Lord. And then he'll come rushing back. So obey. Get close to Jesus. Open your Bible. Learn about the promises that God has given you. That will change everything, Nancy. 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, to confess is to agree with God. It means then if you agree with God, you've got to stop sinning. If you confess your sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness, meaning his presence is right back with you. Let's go to Dan calling from San Antonio on line one. Dan, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, uh, my name is Stan. I was just calling to ask you okay. a question. Jesus quoted, um, I thank you for taking my call, I apologize, but uh, Jesus mm-hmm. quoted uh, about Jonah being three days and three nights uh, in the belly of the fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, uh, he also uh, we talk about three days and three nights in the heart of the earth for, for Jesus. How do we explain that numerically? Because okay, Friday can... to Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Stan, I'm gonna hang and, and, up because I want to listen to you on the radio. Okay. Okay, Stan. Thank you very much, and I apologize for getting your name wrong on my screen. It says Dan, so it is Stan. Uh, Stan, um, uh, this is a Hebrew idiom. So when Jesus says three days and three nights, what he's talking about is is he's going to be in the center of the earth like Jonah was in the whale for or in the fish for for three days, but he's not referencing a literal 24-hour day. In Jewish thought, um, any part of a day counted as a day. So when we've got, he was buried on a Friday, he spent all day um, on the Sabbath, Saturday, and then on Sunday, early in the morning, he rose. Uh, That, in a Jewish way of thinking, now you and I understand a day differently, but in a Jewish way of thinking, remember the Jewishness of Jesus' ministry and of the Gospel accounts. That would also be true of the prophecies about Jesus' death and resurrection from the Old Testament. Um, They're just talking on the third day he will rise again. So um, Jesus doesn't mean three 24-hour days. Um, If that were the case, he would have to die uh, on... um, The other thing we need to remember is a Jewish day began at dusk. We, we would say uh, uh, today is Tuesday, um, but at dusk, say 6 o'clock or whatever time the sun goes down, that would begin Wednesday. Um, so so uh, for, from a Jewish perspective, he's saying just three days, uh, but any part of a day describes the whole day. Let me give you a reference, uh, Stan, so that you can um, sort of get into the Jewish mindset on that. Um, uh, there's a book, a, a, a great book that everybody ought to own, every Christian ought to own. It's called The Life and Times of the Messiah by Alfred Edersheim. He's got other books, uh, Jewish Customs uh, in the Life and Times of Jesus. But uh, Jesus the Messiah, 
um, Alfred Edersheim, E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M. And it is a an essential for every Christian library, in my opinion. If you want Stan, you can get it free. It is um, uh, public domain now. He's been dead for more than 100 years, so you can find it online for free. Um, but as I told somebody last week, uh, it's such an important book. I think people really need to, to dig in and and uh, own it and, and have it available for constant reference. It is um, one of the two or three most useful tools that I've ever had uh, in my uh, 29 now years of being a Christian. So Stan, hope that helps you. Thank you for the call very, very much. Here is a question that comes from... Wait a minute, i got a question coming in, I'm told. This one is from our mobile app from Bin. Uh, we read that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, but is there mention of his disciples being baptized? Ben, good catch. Um, there is no mention of his disciples being baptized by John. Um, it would be unnecessary, his disciples having walked with Jesus. Um, um, they were with him. And when Jesus went out uh, into the to wilderness to meet John and be baptized by him, uh, there's no mention of the disciples going with him. It is likely that Peter, James, and John certainly, and Andrew, certainly were with him because they were also uh, disciples of John the Baptist. I think we can infer that uh, at least those four had been baptized, the baptism of repentance by John, uh, but we have no record of, of the others. So uh, there's no mention. Uh, so any argument has to be made uh, assuming uh, that silence has, uh, has some direction for us, and I don't think it does. Jesus was only baptized, of course, not because he needed to be. He was baptized because he was identifying with sinful humans in the process of doing That's why when John said, it is you who should baptize me, I think Jesus sort of looked at him and went, shh, I know that and you know that. But to fulfill all righteousness, this must be done. And he was identifying with us as he began his march in earnest to the cross. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate it. Here's a question from Richard. He wants to know, what is the role of parachurch organization in God's overall scheme of things? Richard, you know, I think parachurch ministries are, are sort of an invention of, of Western thought. Um, uh, I am always a little wary of parachurch organizations. Um, you know, it's some guy with an entrepreneurial spirit or a woman with an entrepreneurial spirit and they've got this one mission on their heart and they want to do it so they, they start their own ministry. But but most often they do it out from under the cover of a church. That's always a dangerous place to be. The church is the way that God works in these last days. And the last days, of course, started when Jesus died. So in these last days, the church is the vehicle through whom God works. And I am very cautious about uh, ministries and ministers 
who don't want to be under the covering or under the authority of a church. So, Richard, I'm skeptical. Um, I think there's a lot better places to give our money. Um, um, I think our money ought to be given to the local church. People say, well, you're a pastor. Of course, you're going to say that. But if you look in the Bible, there's no such thing as parachurch organizations. I think for Jesus, for Paul, uh, for the others who who are the writers of our Bible, the idea that there would be ministry independent from the church would be anathema. And I just think we do it because we want to do our thing and maybe we couldn't get a church to move quickly enough. Um, And instead of waiting, instead of trusting the Lord to work through his church, um, it's just easier sometimes to go out and do your own thing. There's no accountability, and and uh, it's a dangerous place to be. Let me say this, Richard, and I don't know why you're asking the question, but uh, over and over and over in my 25 years as a pastor, I have watched people go out to do their own thing, crash and burn repeatedly. And they get excited about something and they come to me and they, they, well, I want you to get behind this. No, that's not part of our vision. So they go out and do it on their own instead of getting involved in something God is already doing at the church they've selected. They go out and do their own thing. And I just have seen them over and over throughout the years crash and burn. And it is a tragic thing. And I think we encourage in the West I think we encourage that sort of entrepreneurial spirit, and I don't think it's a healthy thing at all. So I'm not a big fan of parachurch organizations. I think they dilute um, the resources of the church. I think when they step outside the covering of a church and the authority of a church, um, they're in a very, very dangerous place. So, Richard, that's the best I can do with that one. I'm, I'm certain there are great parachurch organizations out there, but my question is always, why did you go outside the church? And usually the answer is, well, I couldn't get a church to, to get on board with me. And that's not the way we're supposed to function in the church. We're supposed to come and be under the authority of a church. And that's why it's important that you select the right church. Mickey says, why do some Christians refer to God as Yahweh or Jehovah instead of Jesus or the Father? Also, is it okay to pray to God as Abba? Um, Let me answer the second one first, Mickey. It is okay to pray to God as Abba. Um, Jesus, um, through the Apostle Paul, wrote that we've been given a spirit of adoption uh, that enables us to approach him as Abba, that that word transliterated as close as we can to English is daddy. And I, I think it's, it's uh, intimate. I think it, it's um, um, usually someone who has a very personal and intimate relationship with, with God who does it. Um, it's hard for some because we didn't have really good daddy figures here on earth, but certainly it's okay to address him as, uh, as Abba, um, just as, as okay as if you prayed to him as Father God. Now, with regard, Mickey, to why some Christians refer to God as Yahweh or Jehovah instead of Jesus or the Father, um, th- there's, there's something, there's no good reason for it. 
um, Yahweh, um, we're not sure whether his name was Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, the, the Jewish scribes wouldn't write the whole word. They'd leave out the, 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 the vowels so there'd be only consonants. And um, so that's just sort of, we think that's what it is. Um, but somehow there's a bunch of Christians that think it's somehow more spiritual to address him that way. Uh, and it's just not true. It's just not true. There's no greater title than Father. Certainly there's no greater title than Jesus. It's, that's his name. And, um, you know, I, I think sometimes we outsmart ourselves, we over-spiritualize things, and it always brings me a little bit of grief, Mickey. You know, I get uh, emails and from people, and they'll write G-D instead of just writing God. And they'll do that because the Jewish scribes dared not to write the whole name of God because they considered it so holy that they couldn't. And I just think it's 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 sort of phony spiritualism, and and um, um, I, I just think it serves no purpose. It has no value at all. I think Jesus came, Mickey, that we might have such an intimate relationship with God that we could call him Abba. Or that we could talk directly to Jesus. There's one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. I think we're supposed to direct our prayers to him. I think we're supposed to pray as though we really and truly knew him and spent some time with him. When I hear somebody say Yahweh or Jehovah, I immediately think, well, they don't know him very well. So, Mickey, hope that answers your question. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your live calls. You guys are way more interesting than I am. 340-9585 for your live calls. We'll be back in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. 30 minutes left, 340-9585. My first question this half is from Queen. Now, Queen, I don't know you, but I love that name for a woman. We are queens to the king. Your question is, are you going to teach Revelation soon? Um, Queen, probably not really soon. Um, um, You know, the Lord can always interrupt and decide he wants to do something. I'm I'm beginning this Sunday in 1 Timothy, although 1 and 2 Timothy, and I don't know what I'm going to be teaching after that, so it's possible the Lord will knock on my heart. Um... But but we've taught Revelation three times, at, at uh, verse by verse here, at four times I'm being told now by my producer, um, um, the Book of Acts and Revelation are two books that um, I tell the people here all the time that they ought to read completely through at least twice a year, and so we have taught those two books more than other books as well. The last time we taught it was uh, 2015. Uh, you can go to our website, calvarysa.com, 
and uh, get the verse-by-verse teaching on the book of Revelation. Uh, It's out there, Queen, and it's free, and I hope that you will enjoy it. So only if the Lord really prompts me to do it uh, will I do it again soon, and we'll see. Uh, And I'm getting old, Queen, so I don't know how much longer we'll be around to do these things. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, Pastor Ron, I was in ministry full-time and cheated on my wife. Am I forever barred from pastoring again? Um, Anonymous, you're not like my answer. I personally believe that you are. Uh, You're certainly not barred or banned from from fruitful ministry. Um, Your gifts and calling, according to Hebrews, uh, are irrevocable. Um, So um, you're still available to use by God. Um, But it is my very strong opinion that when a pastor violates his marriage vows, and especially, especially when he cheats with somebody who is under his care as a pastor, I think that is a, a line that we cross that disables us from being permitted to come back into the pastor role again. I think if a man really, really protected his calling as a pastor, uh, I, I think that would be just something that he wouldn't wouldn't do. Now, obviously, we've seen pastors fall into that kind of sin all the time. And I want you to know, I, I, I say this with a heavy heart, um, but I've, I've told my elders, um, if, if, if I were ever guilty of cheating on my wife, that I would be permanently disqualified from pastoring again. And, um, and uh, I, I would, uh, they would remove my ordination here at Calvary Chapel. So I, it's just, there are people who disagree with me, Anonymous, but here's the thing I would really, really ask you to consider. To serve God fruitfully, why do you need to be a pastor? Why do you need to be uh, up front. Why do you need to be the focus of attention? What I would do if I were you is go to my pastor and tell him that you want to be used. Tell him you understand the problems that that entails, but that you want to be used and you'll help in any way that you can. And you can teach men's groups. You can teach small group Bible studies. You can teach children. And you can do so with an authority of someone who understands the privilege and passion of being called by God to be a pastor. And, and you can talk about blowing it. You know, I talk a lot about Adam and Eve falling in the garden. And then when Cain and Abel were born and the other children that they no doubt had, uh, I, I keep thinking, about how many times did they, did they walk Cain and Abel back to the edge of the garden where they couldn't go any further and and, and Adam would use that as an opportunity to say, boys, I blew it. We used to live there. And my sin blew it. And I want you to know that when you disobey God, it costs everything. And I think, Anonymous, that you're in a position, especially with men, to share your story, to share the pain that you've caused, the pain that you've endured, Understanding that you were called in a privileged position and you blew it 
But then those other men then can see your road back, not to pastoring, but to being used by God. One does not have to be up front getting the attention of the people to be used by God. So that's my opinion. Again, there are a lot of people who will disagree. We see um, fallen pastors restored all the time, but I think in most of those cases, they are churches that uh, are not really solid in terms of the Word of God. Let's go to Jesse on line one from Converse. Jesse, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, how you doing, Pastor Ron? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Listen, I just want to ask you, sir. I've been listening to y'all for, for uh, several years now, and, and I understand y'all have uh, a day of corporate prayer. Um, my question is, I was just wondering if you can kind of just, I guess, give me uh, some insight. I guess how, how how does that some how does that work, or you know, when it, when the churches come together, and, and and I guess maybe a process or just some idea, you know, I guess how something like that would work. Uh, I'll uh, I'll mm-hmm. hang up and I'll listen, sir. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, we do have a corporate day prayer. It's Saturday mornings at 9.30. Uh, and really, it's sort of free form. The only thing that happens every time, Jesse, is uh, I begin the prayer. And then when I'm done, uh, people will start praying. And then I close out the prayer session to keep people on time. Um, you know, we've got uh, people with plans. So we, we want it to be organized. Um, but But beyond that, there is, and this is intentional, there's no form that's given to it. Uh, when I say amen, uh, then then somebody else will start praying. It's never the same people. Not everybody prays, but most people do. Uh, and they're just, you know, when somebody's done and, and we always say amen uh, just to let people know, okay, I'm done. And then somebody else will pray. And Jesse, the time flies by. Now we try to keep the prayer um, um, focused on the needs of the church or the needs of the people in the church. Um, it's not the time to pray for my uncle's sister's uh, brother who is in the hospital uh, in Florida. Um, you know, the, the things that we can pray when we're home alone or when we're walking with Jesus alone, uh, those aren't the things that, that we try to pray uh, for for corporate prayer. So it's just whatever the needs are. And what we've learned here, Jesse, is that, that when people start praying, um, it's, it's just a matter of, of being grateful. Thank you, Lord, for being here. Thank you that you, you got me up so I could come to prayer and that you're eager to hear my prayers. Um, and then the prayers take all, all forms. So uh, we pray out loud. Um, we have a pretty good group of people that come. Uh, and, uh, and, and Jesse, we're getting prayers answered. The people that are coming are growing, um, quickly and their, 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 their relationship with Jesus is, is growing, um, in intimacy and in power. And, uh, they're really beginning to pray. We've got uh, a couple of people who bring their children and their children will occasionally pray, um, uh, we have a, a, a young woman who now went away to college, but she started coming to our our prayers on Saturday morning when she was just a little girl. Ball cap pulled over in, and, and it's amazing how it impacts them. So there's no format, and that's intentional, Jesse. We just pray what's on our heart. Um, we, we, we try to keep our prayers relatively brief. Some do better than others. 
But the idea is we want to give everybody who wants to pray an opportunity to pray. And then as we uh, come to the end of the hour, uh, I just let people know there's 10 minutes left or five minutes left. And then I'll close um, in prayer for the group. We we certainly pray for our church's needs. We certainly pray for uh, the service that comes the following day on Sunday. Um, and it's really a great time. So, Jesse, um, that's how we do it. And I'm sure uh, other people do it differently. But, but I, I really don't think there's much of a wrong way to pray. Thank you for asking. I appreciate it very much. And thanks for listening for several years. Let's go to line two and talk with Ray from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the on the air. Yeah, um, calling reference to the call earlier about parachurch organizations. Uh-huh. Uh, not, and I may be misunderstanding the parachurch, but two organizations that I've dealt with in the past are the Navigators and the Wycliffe Translators. Would you consider them parachurch, or how would you consider those types of organizations? Yeah, I, I would, uh, uh, Ray, consider them parachurch organizations, and both of them do great work. Now, the Navigators are, uh, or have been, I've uh, been out of touch with them for a while, but the Navigators have been active on college campuses for a very, very long time, uh, and and I think they do great work. Um I do not know that they are under the covering or under the authority of another church or not, or a specific church. I do know that typically uh, navigators are are a little bit Reformed-leaning in their theology, but they do great work. Jerry Bridges has written some wonderful books that have blessed me abundantly over the years, so I have nothing bad to say at all about navigators. I'm not familiar... Uh, as intimately with the Wycliffe Translators uh, Ministry, but they would also be a parachurch organization. Now, here's uh, the difficulty. If 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 Wycliffe Translators are like Gideon's, and I, I'm, I'm making that assumption without any information, so if I'm wrong, then just discount what I'm saying. But But the problem that I have with groups like that is that they then come into the church and solicit donations. They come into the church and ask for volunteers. Instead of being part of a church or being sent out from a church, uh, it's almost as though uh, because of what they do, uh, they expect an open door in every church. And and I, I just think there are better ways than parachurch organizations to do it. But again, I, I, Gideon's, was, they do great work. The Wycliffe Translators Group, I'm sure their ministry has great value. Uh, it's just, I think, unbiblical whenever we have a ministry that isn't under the authority and covering of a church. Ray, can I say one other thing, too, about this while I'm thinking about it? Um, when when uh, musicians go out, um, they start in a church, they get well-known, some of them, they write some songs, and they, they have some degree of success. Um, um, when musicians go out and start ministering in churches and expect the churches to pay for them. That's another form of parachurch ministry that I think is really, really dangerous. And I go back to what I said earlier. I've seen a lot of those guys crash and burn. They get a little carried away um, with their own importance. And remember, when we go out, we are to be servants of God. And I personally think anybody that serves God and asks other people for money in order to do it, is ceased serving God at all.
So, Ray, I hope that helps. Yeah, the, the, White, the Whitecliff folks that I've worked with over the years have all been, they were working personally and during Bible translating. They weren't relying on a church or a group. I mean, they, they still go out and solicit funds from those that have participated in the past, but um, they're not near as, you know, focused on, well, we're going to come in, we're going to try to pull things from the church. They're just, they're trying to get the word to those that don't have it. So, okay. So, well, thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks for the clarification. Appreciate it very, very much. Um, you, you, and, and Ray's gone now, but um, the, the Gideon's a good example. And, and they, they come in, they want to put stuff on our table. We don't permit that here at Calvary Chapel. Um, I, I always want to ask them, well, where's your church? And, and their church usually is Gideon's. And again, I don't know about Wycliffe uh, as much, but, but just any of these guys that, that want to use our church to advance their cause is always a cause of concern. Ray, thank you for the information on Wycliffe. Let's take another question. This one is from Felipe. Uh, no, we got a call. Let's um, get Felipe's little. We got Robert calling from Austin. Robert, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, thanks, Pastor Ron. Hey, I heard you called a little bit of the show there earlier, and you had a call that asked about, uh, or you were speaking about a book on Jewish traditions. I uh-huh. didn't remember the author's name you were citing. Okay, it's it's uh, the the book is the Life and Times of the Messiah by Alfred. Edersheim, E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M. Okay. Awesome. And it is a treasure, Robert. Thank you. Okay. Right, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. It, it is not easy reading, but it is just so rich. Okay, now let's get to Felipe's question. He says, why can't I have a relationship with God on my own without Jesus? Oh, Felipe. Now, this isn't my Felipe. We've got a Felipe who calls here regularly, and he wouldn't ask this question. So, um, Felipe, Jesus said, if you don't have the Father, you don't have the Son. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. In other words, there's no way to have a relationship with the Holy God. He lives, Paul writes, in unapproachable light unapproachable light. Well, Jesus became a man. His incarnation allows us then to approach that light, but we have to do it through Jesus. You see, Jesus is without sin. Jesus died. He didn't stay dead. And when we ask Jesus into our heart, then we have access for the very first time to the throne of God. You remember, Felipe, uh, at the, the the death of the Lord, um, the temple veil, the temple veil separating the holy place from the holy of holies, a place where Jews could never go, only the high priest and only once a year could go into that space. Suddenly, it was torn from top to bottom as though it was the hand of God tearing it. And what God was saying is because of his death, because now your sins can be forgiven, you have access 
Now imagine what a great thing that is, Felipe. If you try to go to God on your own and you're still covered in your sin, well then you can't get near the light. Jesus allows us to do that by giving us his righteousness. Think of Job in the middle of his pain. Having seen God, now becoming aware of his own sinful state, he he cried out, he said, if only there were a man between me and the Most High, a mediator, and, well, that was a prophecy of Jesus who would do that. And to walk into that unapproachable light means that we've got to be light. And the only way we can do that is have our sins forgiven. So, Felipe, it is impossible it is futile to try to approach God in our fallen condition. Tomorrow night we're going to be teaching the first, I think, seven verses of Genesis chapter 3. Chapter the fall. Chapter 2 ends with Adam and Eve naked in the garden and they felt no shame chapter 3 opens sort of in their walk of shame to the place where finally they realize that they're naked and and they're ashamed why? because they broke fellowship with God John chapter 3 Philippi, Jesus tells Nicodemus a religious man, the most religious man in all of Jerusalem you are Israel's teacher you don't know you should be born again you must be born again but just before that he says that you Felipe, me, Nicodemus we're all condemned already we're born condemned in this condition of sin I've had a lot of people over the years Felipe say well I know God but I just don't believe in Jesus well if that's the case you don't know him because it's impossible to relate to him That's why Jesus came. That's why he was born. That's why he lived. He was murdered and he rose from the dead so that we could have fellowship with God. Thank you. I appreciate the question, Felipe. Here is a question from Rosemary. Uh, If a Gentile converts to Judaism... Will they go to heaven? Well, Rosemary, I assume you mean if a Gentile converts to Judaism as opposed to converting to Christianity. Well, the answer is no. Judaism doesn't get us to heaven any more than going to a Christian church gets you to heaven. It's coming to Jesus. And if you convert to Judaism, you're coming to the law. You're coming to Moses, the law that condemns. Now, you've got a leg up because it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we worship through Jesus Christ. But coming to a religion of any kind, even Judaism, doesn't give us a place in heaven. Because Jesus said, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. So, Rosemary, what we've got to understand is that heaven is reserved for those of us who've had our sins forgiven, And the only way to have our sins forgiven is by the person of Jesus Christ. 
the Jews don't get to heaven apart from Jesus. Nobody gets to heaven apart from Jesus. So it's just not enough. It's a hard word, people in our culture, because, oh no, there's lots of different ways. There's not, there's only one. How much time I have got this question? Here's a question I don't think I can have get this one in at time. Um, here's one I can get from Alan. He says, does complementarianism ever allow for the possibility of women preaching in churches on Sunday? Um, Alan, I would say no. Um, um, I think there it, it allows for the possibility of women sharing their testimonies. Um, uh, um, I would, for instance, um, have, uh, she was still with us, Elizabeth Elliot. Um, I would, I would love the opportunity to have her speak to my church. Um, she wouldn't try to teach or preach. She would exhort. She would share. Um, Johnny Erickson Tata would be one that if she ever rolled into Calvary Chapel, San Antonio, I'd step aside and say, please come up. Um, and, and believe me, there's only one other person that I ever do that for. Um, um, but, but she too wouldn't try to teach in the sense that I'm preaching um, or, posi- or, or assuming position of authority. But beyond that kind of an event, um, I don't think complementarianism ever allows for that possibility. For those of you who don't know, um, complementarian uh, view is that um, men are to be the, the head of the church and head of the Christian household. Um, it's the only place that women are told to submit. Um, it's the only role in the church that women are um, told is not available to them. Um, they, the flip side of that is egalitarianism. I think egalitarians um, who believe no, all the promises of God, all the roles of God are for uh, men or women. There is no difference, male or female, and they're taking that passage in Galatians uh, way, way, way out of context. So, uh, Alan, no, I think um, uh, preachers are to be men. Um, pastors must be men. Um, if you don't think that's fair, um, then you got to take that up with God. It's not an issue. Pastor Ron says this or, or somebody else says this. It's simply what the Bible says, and there's no way to get around it. I'm going to actually be teaching that in a few weeks in First Timothy. It's in chapter 2, uh, and it's so contrary to what our culture says. But um, we got to remember that it's Jesus, the church. He runs it. He's the head. Uh, we are servants, and we are to do only what he tells us to do. So, Alan, I hope that makes um, sense to you. God's not trying to restrict women. He's just saying this is a result of the fall. There's our music. Thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.